Yeah, Father God, I want to bring Dave before you right now. Father God, thank you for his heart. Thank you, Lord, that he knows who he is in you. And Lord, I want to pray an encouragement over Dave for all those times when he may feel that he hasn't got what it takes or hasn't got enough to be able to do what he needs to do. That Lord, that you would fill him afresh to overflowing and that Lord that you would put your words in his mouth today Lord thank you for what he's prepared and Lord I pray for every person in the congregation that they would open their hearts to really hearing what these words mean and what impact that has on them but Lord I pray that you would pour out your blessing on Dave right now in every way, shape or form, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, the plan <coughs> that kind of failed uh, was to speak on three words. And uh, because I was poorly on week one, it, it didn't sort of go to plan. So uh, we, the idea was to speak on the three words from 1 Corinthians 13, 13 which is at the end of Paul's ex- explanation of what love is where it talks about and these three remain hope, the lo- hope, faith and love, and the greatest of these is love. So Rich spoke really well last week on hope, and uh, it was great, wasn't it? Because he encouraged us uh, that our, the hope that we have is strong, steadfast, immovable. It's a uh, sure and certain hope, and it's very much linked with faith. So I'm going I'm to speak on faith this morning. We'll probably have to leave love to another time and we'll come back to that Uh, um, but I want to look at a story I want to use a story this morning about a king uh, which I hope will inspire us especially when our faith is tested anybody having their faith tested at the moment yeah often does uh, get tested Uh, and I've broken this story into three parts okay and uh, so I'm going to read read the first part and it's from 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 32 verses 1 to 8 that's 2 Chronicles uh, 2 Chronicles 32 1 to 8 and it's about a, uh, a king called Hezekiah anybody had a sermon before on Hezekiah you don't often hear uh, his name mentioned very often uh, so I'll read this first first bit I think I've got to stay here, haven't I? This is uh, from uh, chapter 32. And it's entitled, Sennacherib uh, Threatens Jerusalem. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking up, blocking off the water from the springs outside the city. And they helped him. A large force of men assembled and they blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. 
Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one and reinforced the supporting terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah the king of Judah said. So a bit of backstory on Hezekiah. Um, I've, over Christmas I was reading quite a lot about him. We'll see if that helps. I was reading quite a lot about him. And he, um, he was a king who became... I've got to stay here, haven't I? We'll try that. <clears throat> Hopefully caught in the cable. So Hezekiah became king at the age of 25. He's, uh, the Bible tells us that his father was an evil king. Uh, and yet Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He seemed to be a really good guy. And uh, not the jumper. Uh, and uh, it says that he, he restored... Uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem, the place of worship. And um, he, was, he was that kind of guy who just got on with it. There's no messing about it. He just got, let's do this. Let's get on with it. He rallied the people, cleaned out uh, the temple, got the people to consecrate themselves and re-established Levitical worship, if you like, uh, within, within the temple. So really great guy. And then we get and there's a bit more, more to the story, but then we get 14 years gap between him becoming king and then this sort of threat of invasion of uh, the city of Jerusalem. And I love that phrase. It says, uh, in the beginning, it says, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done. It sounds like a really good guy, doesn't he? Someone that really uh, uh, gets on with it, gets the job done without any messing about. Um, but uh, so there's this threat of uh, uh, of the, the the city being taken, and then we once again hear how Hezekiah responds to that threat. Uh, I've listed a few things here. I mean, I don't, I don't want to repeat the story, but it talks about him consulting his officials and military staff about denying the enemy a vital resource, the water. You know, if a, if a large, this says a vast army descends on a city to take it, it needs, it needs a source of water. It needs food. It needs uh, water. And uh, he, he, it was a very good strategy, isn't it, to cut off a water supply of, to a, a foreign invader to deny them that because they're not going to be able to hang around very long 
if they can't drink, if they can't uh, replenish themselves. In fact, um, I was looking at something about the Israeli Defence Force, and uh, they did a test a few years ago to do with water. Uh, a standard uh, soldier on his kit would carry a water bottle that would probably carry about a litre of water, and that's supposed to last sort of 24 hours. And they did a test where they got them to march through the desert uh, and then rely on that one bottle of water. And what they found was they couldn't last that long. And so what they did another test with another group of soldiers, same type of group of soldiers, and they got them to drink a litre of water every hour, doing the same type of work, same time of exercise, same marching. They got them to drink a, a litre of water every hour. What they would do, they'd stand in a circle, they'd sing a song, and then they'd down the water. And what they found, by drinking a litre of water every hour, they were completely unstoppable. They could do anything. It's almost like there was something about the water that replenished these people. So blocking off this water source uh, would have been a devastating blow to the enemy. And of course the people rallied to do that. They repaired and strengthened their defensive position. They made weapons and shields. They were preparing themselves for a battle. And it says that Hezekiah appointed military officers over the people, people who knew how to fight, people of strategy, people who perhaps been there and done it. And this is the thing with faith. In, in this situation, they could have just stood back and, and said, well, God will fight for us and we don't have to play our part. And sometimes I think Christians, we do that. We go, oh, well, God will sort it all out. God will provide, God will fight for, and, and, and God will. But there's a, a sense that we're in this, this is a partnership. Faith is a partnership with Jesus. It's not Jesus doing everything for us. We have to do our part too. And you see that in this story with Hezekiah rebuilding the defences, uh, strengthening the, the, what they've got, providing weapons ready for the, the coming battle. I love the way that he assembles and encourages the people. And, and you, kind of, this is, you get a little flashback, don't you, to Joshua as you read his words. Because he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. You know, we have a greater power with us than with uh, the world. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us, the Lord our God is with us to help fight our battles. And it says that the people gain confidence from his words. It's almost like Hezekiah's faith and trust in God rubbed off on the people. What about us? What about us? Do what other people say. How does it affect and uh, uh, increase your level of faith. You know, it'd be very easy, wouldn't it, for him to have spoken fear? Oh, we're doomed. We've got got nothing to get. They're bigger than us. We haven't got the resources. And the people would have been downcast. But he speaks uh, faith and courage, and he gives hope to the people through his words. 
people gained confidence. You know, fear robs us of our confidence. Remembering who is with us and who is fighting for us should give us confidence. Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust men. Well, I think Hezekiah had to do both. He had to take refuge in the Lord, but he also had to trust the people that he'd got with him to to work alongside him, to do what he'd he'd called them to do in in rebuilding the walls, stopping up the water supply and planning for uh, the defence of the city. Martin Luther King said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. And you can see that in Hezekiah. He, he took the first steps, first steps to defend the city from invasion. So how do we apply this to our life when we're faced with the threat? It may not be a threat of invasion of your house, but it may be a threat in another way. Maybe you know, with your finances or your job or your health or with your family or with your neighbours. Well, I think we can learn from Hezekiah to, to consult with those who have wisdom, knowledge and experience. With those people who've perhaps walked a faith journey. Those who've been there, done it. Or perhaps no others that have. To consult, to gain wisdom, to seek understanding, to get help on the journey. You know, as Christians, we're, we're not meant to walk alone. We're meant to walk in community. This, we're often called a faith community, aren't we? We're meant to do it together. What about doing what you can do to strengthen your position? That's what they did. They did everything they could to strengthen that position, to, 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 to defend that city And there are times when we have to do what we can do to strengthen your position. What is it that you can do right now with what you're facing to strengthen your position? Maybe for some of you it might be, well, I actually need to dig deeper into the word to receive from God to strengthen my inner man, my inner person. How do I invest in my soul? Maybe, uh, you know, if you're facing finance problems, well, maybe putting some money aside each month is a way of strengthening your position, building up some reserves, building up some funds so, so that when the threat of whatever comes, you, you've, you've got something to, to offer. You, know, you can maybe put something else in that gap. How can you strengthen your position? And the third, another thing is to invest in the tools to do the job. You know, they built, uh, they made uh, shields and uh, weapons. Uh, you might not need shields and weapons, uh, not physical ones, but maybe spiritual shields and weapons. You know, the, talk about the shield of faith, don't we? And the sword of the spirit. Uh, how can you invest in, in the right tools to do the job? And how do you remember what God has done before? How does that help you with your faith? To remember what God has done on the journey so far, where he has provided a way out for you, where he has maybe changed direction or brought about a miraculous 
uh, uh, situation uh, for your good. I, uh, <clears throat> just before Christmas, just a couple of months before Christmas, I uh, was, I think Ken put me in contact with a guy who'd come to the centre seeking help. He was in a desperate situation with his mental health. And uh, he'd been referred to me by two professional people. One, a mental health counsellor, or a counsellor, and one, uh, well, I won't tell you his profession, but a professional person. They'd both recommended that he came and saw me. And I'm thinking, sorry? What? Why, how am I qualified to, to minister to this guy? And uh, on the first meeting with this fellow, I said I could give him an hour. Well, he talked so much, it ended up being nearly two and a half hours. And uh, I was a bit exhausted at the end. So on the, th on the second meeting, I said, we really need to keep it to an hour. And during these meetings, we probably had about two or three. Um, he was pouring out his heart. His, his struggles, his mental health needs, you know, everything that was going on in his life. And I was able to just listen. And while I'm listening, I'm asking God, you need to provide me with some tools here. You need to give me what, you know, something that I can give to him to strengthen his position. And uh, the Holy Spirit just kept on giving me pieces of scripture, uh, bits of wisdom, uh, things that I could hand over to him for, for, to enable him to, to gain some ground, to put up some defences and to uh, help him improve his, his mental well-being. And um, there were, it, was, it was quite bold, really, because I kept giving him uh, the odd scripture every now and again. And I said, I want you to write this down. I want you to take it home. I want you to meditate on this. I want you to uh, learn it. I want you to um, you know, give him a scripture memory verse, not just so that he could memorise it, but he could actually internalise it and begin to use it against the stuff that he was facing. And then just before Christmas, he was going through some struggles at work and uh, he'd been off work for over a month and he'd been called in for a disciplinary and uh, we'd prayed about it, you know, we'd handed it over to God and um, a few days later we, he saw me again and said that he'd um, had to resign. I think he was basically going to get sacked, so he, he resigned instead. And uh, this is a guy who's got six small children, got a mortgage, um, you know, really struggling with his mental and physical health. And uh, it's really hard to go, how are we going to face this together? And so we just, we prayed, I encouraged him. And uh, I think this is where, where your faith is tested, because when you look at somebody who's so downcast, so miserable, so looking so helpless... And here's me going, well, let's pray for you. Let's give you some scripture verses. Even I begin to go, is this going to do any good? Is this going to do any good? But when you know what God can do, you have to put your trust and your faith in him. And um, hadn't really heard much from him since Christmas. Well, Ken and I were sort of in McDonald's, having a cheeky McDonald's, having a coffee on... Uh, Friday morning and in walks this guy and I cannot believe the transformation his face 
was clean, fresh, aglow almost. He was, you know, he'd gone from being this sort of poor, weary guy. He's only my age, you know, in his 20s. And um, <laughs> he'd gone from this poor, weary guy to being really looking really well and confident. And we went up to speak to him and he said, oh, I've got a job. And uh, we prayed because he didn't want to go back into full-time employment. He wanted a part-time job so that he could, you know, do, do as much as he could, but then make sure he's got time to rest. And um, he'd, he'd got a job locally. And, and then he said, but I'm giving that job up because I've got another one. I've got a better job. Still part-time, and I'll start that soon. And <coughs> I was just amazed because you know, I was thinking to myself, oh, ye of little faith. You look at somebody and you can easily go, I'm not sure about this one. But God is full of surprises. And, um, you know, we've got one of these cards, one of these prayer cards in the centre. And we've been praying at Wednesday lunchtime prayer for this guy to have uh, a, bit, a fresh start in 2020, better mental health and a new job. And it's like, it's already been answered. It's already been answered. So praise God for this guy. Please pray for him that God would continue uh, to, to build him up and to strengthen his position really through faith because there's nothing he had nothing else really to hold on to so that's part one of the story part two let's let's take a look at the threats uh, from the enemy uh, we'll read from verse uh, from verses 9 to 19 <clears throat> so it says later when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and all his forces were laying siege to Lachish, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with this message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who were there. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? When Hezekiah says the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. Did not Hezekiah himself remove his God's high places and altars, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the other lands. Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations and my father destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now, do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Sennacherib's officers spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. The king also wrote letters insulting the Lord, the God of Israel. And saying this against him, just as the gods of the peoples of the other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. Then they called out in Hebrew 
to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them and make them afraid in order to capture the city. They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about the gods of other peoples of the world and the work of men's hands. Well, this is a real threat, isn't it? From what seems like a very successful invader. Um, <clears throat> I was looking up what the Assyrians and, and what Sennacherib had done in uh, the cities of Judah. And there is evidence uh, has been found uh, all over the place in this, in this particular region of uh, what he had done. Um, I think there is a slide of a number of cities in Judah. Here we go. Probably not all on there. But all the ones in red are the ones that they invaded. And every single one of them has evidence of him being there. So, for example, there are uh, Assyrian arrows and spearheads that have been found at those sites. There's also, uh, like, rocks, uh, the sh- almost the shape of cricket balls, that they've found all over the place. And they are the, what they put in slingshots and throw, and they've been found all over. So you can see how successful he was in, in defeating some of those cities. And his next target was Jerusalem, just up at the top there. And, and so he's got a track record of uh, being successful in battle and taking these cities. And they've got reason to be frightened, because when, when they took these cities, uh, the king would have been killed, probably beheaded, uh, some of the leaders it, it would show that they would be skinned alive and they're, they're you know all sorts of horrible stuff and there's there's lots of different evidence and there's um in in the first part of that passage it talks about a place called Lachish and you can just see that just here a city that had been taken and in the British Museum there is a, a relief and it's called the Lachish reliefs and um, should, should be a picture of it coming up. There we go. So if you go to the British Museum, you can see this. It's massive. And uh, you've heard of the Bayard Tapestry? Ba- what is it called? Bayard Tapestry. I'm getting confused with Bayard Place. Aren't I? Um, this is like that. So rather than being on tapestry, this is in clay. And it, it shows you the, the whole story of the siege of that city. And in, in lots of different detail, I won't go into that now, but it shows you how successful he was at, at conquering those cities. But what is, you know, what these words that he uses to try and destroy their confidence and their faith. He says this, what are you basing your confidence on? What are you basing your confidence on? It's all designed, isn't it, to knock your face. I mean, uh, that's almost a question that we could ask ourselves. What is it you are basing your confidence on? Is it on, you know, your employer or your family or, uh, or your finances? Or is it on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the, the steady, rock-solid uh, head of the church? What are you basing your confidence on? They, again, he tries to discredit Hezekiah, tries to say that he, he's deceiving you. Do you not know my track record? He boasts about his own ability and he talks about uh, no gods being able to stand up against him. 
Man, that's a boast, isn't it? Uh, from a man. He must have thought himself a god. How can your god protect you? And then he sends letters and insults. And they even call out in their own language to, to make them afraid. And he compares God to man-made gods. And if you, know, if you, if you think about it, if, if those people had taken in all of those threats, all of those um, accusations, all of those things, their faith would have been rocked. You know, if you look into 2 Kings 18, this is not the first time Hezekiah and the city of Jerusalem had been threatened by the Assyrians. 2 Kings tells us that, um, that Hezekiah had responded on that occasion by giving peace offerings to Sennacherib to avoid war, which was a thing that was common. So war in the Middle East isn't a new thing. It tells us that he gave 10 tonnes of silver and one tonne of gold to his enemy. He stripped the gold from the doors and the doorposts of the temple that he had restored. So you think in that moment, you know, where was, where was Hezekiah's faith then? Maybe it wasn't as strong as when he's really under pressure. So you look at, you look at Sennacherib's threats and it, it just reminds me of a, a kind of a David and Goliath contest where Hezekiah first tries to buy off the looming offense, offensive in hope of protection. He has a lack of faith. And then Sennacherib's words remind me of Goliath threatening David, the shepherd boy. Excuse me. <clears throat> Remember, Goliath said to David, how can your God deliver you from me? Today I will feed your flesh to the birds and the beasts. These are the words inspired by the devil, aren't they? They have that kind of ring tone to them. Threat, accusation condemnation. So how does Hezekiah respond after they've done everything they could do practically? This is where action and faith comes in. <coughs> Lose my voice, sorry. So he's tried to buy them off on the first occasion with all the gold and the silver and then he comes again. He comes again. And this is where, part three, he calls for help. This is the last resort. It says this in, in verse 20. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. Sometimes you think that should be our first resort, shouldn't it? Rather than our last resort. It says he cried out to heaven in prayer about this and then verse 21 says and the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the leaders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king wow prayer works <laughs> prayer works King Hezekiah and Isaiah call out in prayer and God provides the miracle. You know that, that word in the beginning where he said our God will fight for us? Well, God did fight for them. God wiped them out. 
he took away all of their soldiers, all of their leaders, all of their officers. And it says that he withdrew to their, his own land in disgrace. And when he went into his temple of his God, some of his sons cut him down with the sword. So yeah, complete turnaround. Complete turnaround. Corrie ten Broom says this, Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. I think some of you here who've uh, stepped out in faith not knowing really how it's all going to pan out. And you've prayed and you've believed for something unbelievable and you have received what seems impossible. You've received perhaps more than you've expected because God was in it. God was hearing your prayers and he was providing for you. I look at 2 Kings chapter 19, 32. And this is uh, a prophetic word from God through Isaiah. And he says this, Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city declares the Lord, I will defend this city and save it for the sake of, for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. I wonder when they got that prophetic word. You know, when they cried out to heaven and asking God to intervene, did they know this word? Were they confident that God had said they will not enter this city? I will rescue you. I will fight for you. Were they standing on this word? Did this give them courage and faith that God would save them? What words are you standing on today? How do they help you trust in the Lord, especially in difficult times? What has God said to you that enables you to keep going in the face of opposition, in the face of difficulty, to Remain faithful to God, to remain trusting in his promises. What are they? Can you name them? Have you got them written down? Can you quote them? This is what God has said to me. Charles Spurgeon says this, to trust God in the light is nothing. But trust him in the dark, that is faith. And it's easy to trust God when it's all plain sailing when there's no difficulty, when there's no problems, when everything's tickety-boo. But it's in the dark places. That's when faith arises. That's when uh, we really know whether we trust God or not. You think of Jesus in the boat during the storm. He was asleep. And the disciples are battling against the wind and the waves. And they go and wake him up. What does Jesus do? He speaks to the wind and waves and he says, quiet, be still. And then there's a rebuke, isn't there? Because he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? After all that they'd seen, after all that they'd seen Jesus do, after everything they'd been through with him, their faith 
to him, to Jesus, still looked small. Sometimes we've got to go through some wind and waves to see how strong our faith is. So to sum up, Hezekiah responded faithfully to the threat of uh, invasion by taking action. You know, action and faith work hand in hand. The threat was real, large, looming, and partly out of their control. They needed to trust in God. Hezekiah and the people under siege in Jerusalem needed God to intervene, and they cried out to him, and he came to their rescue. You know, probably one of the the classic passages in Scripture to go to, to be reminded about faith, is Hebrews 11. I think probably Rich quoted from it last week. Uh, But it lists, doesn't it, those heroes of faith throughout uh, time. And uh, it surprises me. I mean, it does say that there isn't time to mention them all, but almost Hezekiah should be one of those people in there. Not that I'm an expert on Scripture, but it it says... um, Verse 32, and it says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak, Samson or Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. You know, Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem, they escaped the edge of the sword through faith, through trusting in God and seeing Jesus come through for him. I saw this quote in the week, and it doesn't tell me who it's from, but it just says this, faith is grounded in the reality of the past, hope is looking to the reality of the future. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past, the things that we've already seen, the things we already know about, the the things that God has already done. Hope is looking to the reality of the future. Hope is knowing that God is going to fight for us. God is going to rescue us. God is going to transform us completely. God is going to renew the earth. Jesus is coming back to rescue us. So often we worry, we fret, we become discouraged, we get downcast. Corrie ten Boom says, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. We can be worrying and fretting about a lot of things, but let's turn it over to God. Let's bring it to, to Jesus in prayer. Let's call out to heaven and see God rescue us. So this morning, where are you at on your faith journey? Where has God taken you so far? How is, what is he doing now in the midst of perhaps, for some of you, a difficult time? What are you doing about that? Are you taking action? Are you investing in your strength? Are you calling out to Jesus for rescue? my hope that that you will see God deliver you from whatever it is that's causing you trouble at the moment whether that 
be a crisis that you're facing, whether it's a struggle that you're worrying about, whatever it might be, I want to encourage you this morning to do what, what Hezekiah did, that he cried out, he called out to heaven. And God responded to that prayer. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we sing songs like, what a faithful God we have, or faith can move a mountain, let the mountains move. Lord, it's easy to sing those things on a Sunday morning when everything is fine. But we know that our faith is tested. It is refined in a fire, a place where perhaps we don't want to be or a place we don't want to go. But I thank you, Lord, that we're not on our own, that you're with us, that you've promised to never leave us or forsake us. And so I want to thank you this morning for that sure and certain hope that faith is, that it is a rock-solid platform we can stand on knowing that you will be with us, that you will rescue us, that you will be there for us. I pray for brothers and sisters this morning, Lord, who are going through difficult times, who are facing challenges, that they would call out to you. Lord, whether it be in their, in their relationships, in their family, in their marriages, whether it be in their workplaces or their, or their finances, whether it be in their health or in perhaps the, the health of loved ones, may they turn to you, call out to you and see your rescuing hand deliver them. Thank you for the testimonies, Lord, that every single one of us has where you have done that in the past. But we pray, Lord, that we'd see that again, that every single person would have a story of deliverance where you have intervened, where you have provided, where you have made a way through where there seemed to be no way. Jesus, thank you that you are completely trustworthy and dependable. We pray this morning that that as we go into our week, you would strengthen our faith. That we would base, that our confidence would be in you. Yeah, come Holy Spirit and strengthen us when we're weak. Help us to invest in the right things. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're always good to us. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth every day. Amen. I'm going to close this morning with a a hymn. And I'm going to ask if you'd stand with me. You'll recognize the tune, you may not know the words, but uh, we had them a few months ago. And I think this is a hymn that just calls us, you know, to live live out our faith in the world around us as we go out into what God has for us this coming week.
God, I pray that you would be with us this week as we go out and stand in that faith of knowing that you are for us and that, Lord, in everything that we may face this week, that, Lord, that you will be there with us, that we can stand firm on that hope and know that you are a faithful God. That, Lord, you never let us down. So, Father God, I pray for each and every one of us here that you would be at the centre. The Lord, that when we are going through those tough conversations, that tough time, that we would lift our eyes from looking downwards, but would lift our eyes and look upwards to where that hope comes from. So, Father, I pray you bless each and every person here. Be with us, guide us, and above all, Lord, continue to love us like you do. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Please stay for tea and coffee. Um, 
and have a chat with someone that you might not have had a chat with for a while. Ask them how they are, but properly how they are. And above all, enjoy the tea and coffee.